possible. Isaiah chapter number 25 in your Bibles this evening. And we're going to be looking at a really interesting uh, chapter here. One I had a lot of fun studying and a message that I think will encourage us all tonight. Isaiah 25, we're going to be reading verses 6, 7, and 8 to start. chapter is only 12 verses long, but it is packed full of all kinds of good stuff. Once you found Isaiah 25, if you're so able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Verses 6, 7, and 8. All right. The Bible says, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. We're going to look at this title throughout the entire chapter this evening, and it's this, the Lord will preserve his people. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful to know that we serve a God and we love a God who will punish the evil in this world and reward the righteous. God, we're not righteous because of anything we've done. We're righteous because we've believed in you. And Lord, we've chosen to be on your team. And Lord, we fail sometimes. We're flawed individuals, but God, in the end, Uh, You're going to heal us. You're going to heal this sin-cursed world. And we're going to get to enjoy the fruits of that labor. We're going to get to enjoy your presence for all of eternity. So, Lord, as we look at this chapter tonight, help us to be encouraged. Sometimes we come in and we can have a defeatist attitude as as life kind of kicks us in the mouth and gets us down. But, Lord, may tonight be an encouragement that one day... All of our cares and struggles of this world will be set aside. And we'll enjoy, uh, we'll enjoy your, uh, your peace in a perfect way. God, help us as we look at that and deeply understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, Isaiah chapter 24, we looked at last week. And the, the uh, concept of chapter 24 is that the Lord will judge his enemies. The Lord will judge his enemies, And we talked about how in, in chapter number 24, how that it was prophetic of the great tribulation. There's coming a time in the great tribulation where God rains down his wrath on the wicked. He greatly punishes the wicked. We looked at that. We talked about the, the demon locusts that are released out of uh, the great pit and how they torture men and how uh, folks will want the rocks to fall upon them and kill them and will not be able to die, and how that uh, God will rebuke the wicked in their wickedness. The, the treacherer, treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously, uh, Isaiah 24 tells us, and surely, lo and behold, there is coming a day uh, when uh, those who are against God will face the wrath of God. They'll face the wrath of the Lamb. And uh, there is that aspect of it. What happens after the tribulation, well, we get to a time where the Lord's people are preserved. The Lord's people are preserved. The Lord will preserve His people. I think, though, that for us to truly understand Isaiah 25, it would be a good idea, a healthy idea, for us to take a half a step back 
and get a timeline of the prophetic events because there is a whole lot of confusion about what exactly the prophetic timeline looks like. In fact, I asked Matthew tonight before church, do you have any idea what's going to happen uh, in the future with uh, in the Bible with prophecy? And he looked at me and said, Dad, I don't have any idea. I said, well, do you want to know? Because if you don't, I won't bore you with the details. He said, no, I, I want to know. So we sat right down here and I gave him the timeline. And, and uh, listen, there's some disagreement out there with what I'm about to say. Uh, there are people who see it a little bit different than I do, uh, but that's okay. I'm right and they're wrong. And when they accept that, we'll We'll all be good. Uh, so, uh, no, but I, I do believe after many years of studying this topic uh, that uh, this timeline to be accurate, I, uh, I share this with people. Uh, where people get their doctrine screwy on eschatology, where people get all confused with end-time events, is when they study just the book of Revelation and they don't study the book of Daniel and the major and minor prophets. The major and minor prophets offer a whole lot of background and information that help us understand the book of Revelation. Furthermore, Jesus had a lot to say about the timeline of end-time events, and so we must obviously prioritize the teaching of Jesus and understand that it all works seamlessly together when you lay it all out there. And so don't just jump in the book of Revelation without having an understanding of what was prophesied in the Old Testament and what was prophesied of Jesus. So with that said, let me give you what I believe to be an accurate timeline of events, and that will set the table for Isaiah chapter number 25. Okay, Revelation chapter number 4. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot these things down, you can, okay? Revelation chapter 4, the church age comes to an end at the rapture. The rapture. The rapture happens in Revelation chapter number 4, and uh, the trumpet sounds come up hither, we're caught, we're caught up. Now, the word rapture is not actually found in the Bible, but the concept of the rapture is. The word rapture means to be caught away, and there will be a catching away of the saints, uh, and that is the next event on the prophetic calendar. We are waiting for uh, the trumpet to sound and for Jesus to call us home, and those of us which are alive and remain, uh, Thessalonians explains, will be called up together with the Lord in the air, so will ever be with the Lord. Those that will be resurrected from the dead at the rapture will be the church-age saints who have died and gone on before us. They'll leave the ground first, we'll come up right behind them, and we'll join them in the air. So Revelation 4, the rapture takes place. Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation begins, and the wrath of God is poured out on the world. So there will be a time between the rapture and the tribulation. Many people have thought that maybe the tribulation, or rather the rapture kicks off the tribulation. That's not the case. The tribulation actually begins when the first seal of the title deed is broken open in Revelation 6. Revelation 5, Jesus is the Lamb uh, of God worthy to take the scroll from uh, God uh, the Father in that, that scroll we believe to be the title deed of earth. Jesus is the only one qualified because he was, while he is the Lion of Judah, he was the Lamb of God who was slain for the, uh, before the foundation of the world. He was the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And so he being the one worthy, takes the scroll, he opens it up, and he breaks open that first seal, and that releases, or rather begins, the tribulation on earth, a seven-year period of God's wrath 
being poured out on earth. So Revelation 4, the rapture. Revelation 6, the tribulation begins. Revelation chapter number 7, there are, uh, there are the, the uh, Jewish saints, 12,000 of them from each tribe, that are sealed by God. Sealed by God, 12,000 from each tribe. You'll hear the Jehovah's Witnesses throw out the number 144,000. You ever talk to a JW, a Jehovah's False Witness, JFW, uh, you get the stat 144,000. What are they saying? They're saying that only 144,000 are going to make it into the kingdom. The problem with that is they have rewritten the Bible. That's the problem. Uh, 144,000, that number is a biblical number. It's 12,000 out of the 12 tribes. In fact, Revelation 7 takes the time to go through and list each tribe by name and say 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe. Goes down and lists all 12 tribes and these 144,000 will be saved upon the rapture of the church, the kicking off of the tribulation. They'll be sealed by God. There will be a mark put on them by God. And in that same chapter, there will be the martyred tribulation saints praise God in white robes in heaven. Let me just give you a quick rundown of what will happen here. 144,000 Jews get saved, and they go all over planet Earth proclaiming the name of Jesus to every corner of this globe. In fact, after the rapture and tribulation kicks off, the greatest revival this world has ever seen is going to take place. Uh, millions of people will get saved. Millions and millions and millions of Jews and Gentiles will get saved, and then the Antichrist is going to get busy martyring and slaying these saints. The slain tribulation saints will stand before the throne of God in heaven in white robes, Revelation chapter 7 tells us, and they will praise God in heaven. The tribulation saints will praise God in heaven. These are those that were saved and martyred at the hands of of the Antichrist. And so chapter number 4, the rapture of the church, the church age ends. Chapter number 6, the tribulation begins, the wrath of God poured out on the world. Revelation chapter 7, you have the 144,000 Jews sealed. They go around preach, people get saved, and then they're slain by the Antichrist. And then we find in Matthew chapter number 24. You all with me tonight? I'm not moving too fast, am I? Are we all right? Matthew chapter number 24, we find the teaching of Jesus where he expounds on Daniel chapter 9 and he explains about the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. Now, what is the abomination of desolation? If you've been at White Oak Baptist Church long enough, you've heard me teach this and talk about this. The abomination of desolation is a big fancy phrase, but what it simply means is that the Antichrist will walk into the Temple Mount, into into Solomon's Temple, or the rebuilt Solomon's Temple. He will sit on David's throne, and he'll declare himself to be Christ. He'll declare himself to be the Messiah. He will commit an abominable act in the temple, and when this happens, the temple will desolate. The Jews will realize this man is a fraud and phony. This man is not the Christ. He is the Antichrist, and they will flee. In fact, Jesus tells the Jews in Matthew 24 that when this act happens, that they are to leave immediately what they're doing, and they're to go and run and hide in the terrain. And we know from the teachings of Christ that the Jews for the last three and a half years 
of the tribulation will sit in a desolate place on planet earth and God will use the elements of planet earth to help fight off the Antichrist and Satan as he attacks and attacks and attacks the Jews. In fact, there will be many deceptive uh, uh, acts and many people will say Christ has come here and Christ has come there. And Jesus says, be leery and be weary of any such announcement. You wait for King Jesus to come back. And so the last three and a half years of the tribulation, the Jews are trapped. They're being attacked by Satan and the Antichrist and all that the Antichrist and his forces can offer and throw at with the Lord God using the elements of nature to help protect protect them from this attack. And so at the end of the seven-year tribulation, uh, the Jews have been persecuted for three and a half years. We come to Revelation chapter number 19. Now, if you're ever having a bad day and you need to be cheered up, read Revelation 19. Uh, If that doesn't take your day from being bad to good, then my friend, you've got some serious, you need some serious help. Revelation 19 talks about Jesus Christ coming back on a white horse and being uh, uh, clothed, and, and how he's clothed, and his visage or countenance, and how he opens his mouth, and swords fly out, and the armies of the world, the Antichrist, and, and his armies are destroyed, and, and Antichrist and Satan are bound and thrown into the, the deepest pit. King Jesus comes back, and he defeats the evil of this world, and he sets up his earthly kingdom. And so when we get to Isaiah chapter number 25, we are arriving at a chapter that is describing what will happen right after the battle of Megiddo, the battle of Armageddon, where Jesus defeats the armies of the world, Satan and his uh, minions are thrown into hell, and then the, arm, the, the, the kings of the world are judged in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Right on the heels of that, we come to Isaiah 25. Have I set the stage? Do we understand where we're at? Isaiah 25, we're right at the very, very, very inception of the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ on planet Earth. Okay, so one other important note before we get into Isaiah 25 is that this chapter is a Hebrew song. This is a Hebrew song. How many of you have paragraph markers in your Bible? Raise your hand if you have paragraph Markers in your Bible. Look real close. Look real close. You'll see a paragraph marker, right? Um, If you don't have them, I'll tell you where they are, okay? Verse number 1 is the beginning of a paragraph. Look down at verse number 6. You have the word and. In front of the word and is a little symbol. How many of you have that symbol before the word and, all right? If you do, that's a paragraph marker. Now, the chapter and verse markings that we find in the Bible were not put there originally by God. Those were added later for clarity and for indexing purposes. But the paragraph markings were put there by God and the authors. And so it's really... Now, listen, I'm all for the chapter and verse uh, marks. We use them. It helps us give addresses to the verses. But the paragraph markings were put there by God. And so it's always important that you take note of that. I would encourage you that if you do not have a Bible with paragraph markers, that you get one. It will... It will really help you understand better context of the Bible, okay? So there's a paragraph marker at verse 6, a new paragraph at verse 6, and another new paragraph at verse 9. Now, this was a Hebrew song. Stanza 1 was verse 1 to verse 5. Stanza 2 is verse 6 to verse 8. And stanza 3 of this Hebrew song of celebration is verse 9 
down through, is it verse, I've got to turn the page here, verse number 12. So 9 through 12 is this third stanza of the song. Okay, so we're going to take these three stanzas and we're going to look at them individually and see how Isaiah is rejoicing about how the Lord will preserve his people uh, in this. Now, before I give you point one, I studied and studied and studied and studied this chapter a lot, a long time. I'd say I probably put about an hour and a half more of study in this chapter than I do in most. And here's why I put the extra time into this chapter. I was having a hard time figuring out who exactly this chapter was written for. Is this written for the tribulation saints? Is it written for the Jews? Is it written for the church age saints? And there's an argument to be made for any one of these groups. Okay? There's an argument to be made that it's written to all of these groups. But the strong conclusion that I came to is that this is being written leaning toward the Jews because they will have endured great persecution that last three and a half years. King Jesus is coming back. Please understand, the church age saints in heaven, we're resting in heaven with the Lord. The tribulation saints that have been martyred, they're resting in heaven with the Lord. The Jews trapped on earth being persecuted uh, by uh, the um, uh, Antichrist, when Jesus comes back, that offers them great relief in a time of rejoicing. There's a couple of other little cues in here that would seem to indicate that maybe this is leaning Jewish in its writing, um, and I'll point those out as we go along. But let's jump in tonight, and let me give you three thoughts about this idea that the Lord will preserve his people. Point number one, stanza number one, notice, praise to God for his past deliverance. Praise to God for his past deliverance. Let me give you a letter A, B, and C here. Letter A, notice, devotion to God. Devotion to God. Look at verse number one. It says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Look here. I love this phrase. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. That is a great way to start a song, isn't it? Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Faithfulness and truth. Um, Listen, for Isaiah 24, the, the thought of the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, the rule and reign of the theocracy of the Lord Jesus Christ, to a rebellious world that hates God, that is a terrifying thought. That is a horrible thought. And Isaiah 24 spells out the doom and gloom for the lost, for those in rebellion against God. But how about those that love God? Isaiah 25 is the opposite side of the coin where we're looking at, hey, this is a good thing for those that are devoted to God. Devoted to God. Look at verse number 4. Look at verse number 4. Isaiah 25. It says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. Uh, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You ever been uh, working out in the heat and found some shade and just felt relief from the shade? How do you know what I'm talking about with that? Um, when I was a boy, I lived in Mississippi, and uh, I went out one day with my dad, and we were helping a, a, a fellow church member with his farm. And we're out there in the Mississippi heat, 100 and 100 plus degree weather, felt hotter than that. And, and, uh, and then it was announced by the farmer's wife, lemonade is ready to be served. 
and we walked over to, uh, to her car, and she had lemonade. She had prepared at home and driven out down the, uh, down the dirt road where we were, and we sat under a big tree in the shade, and we drank that lemonade. And I've got to tell you, I have never been happier to sit in shade in my life as I was right there. The Lord Jesus Christ will be like a shadow to the heat, he, he, he provides strength for, look back at verse 4, He provides strength for the poor and strength for the needy in His distress. Who is the Lord God uh, delivering? Who is the Lord God preserving? He will have preserved those who were in that terrible distress of that persecution of the Antichrist, the three and a half years of, 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 of reigning havoc and chaos and problems and, and, and starvation and, and being naked and cold and, 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 and being a stranger and, and being homeless. And all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ shows up and He is the preserver to those who were devoted to God. And the author here points out, he points out two characteristics of God in the end of verse 1. He points out His faithfulness and truth. Let's look, take a moment and look at His faithfulness. Turn over to Psalm chapter 118 with me in your Bibles. Psalm 118. And look with me at verse number 8. If you get to 119, don't get too excited. You've got a ways to go. Amen? Psalm 119 is a long, long, long chapter. I, I knew some girls in a girl's home one time that memorized the entire Psalm 119. And they got up as a group and they quoted it. My mouth was, jaw just hung open. They got every word. I opened my Bible halfway through and I looked down and, and, and read as they quoted. And they got every word right. I was impressed. Uh, so Psalm 118, look with me at verse number 8. It says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. How many of you found that to be true? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that no matter how hard I try, I'm still sometimes unreliable. Um, it's written in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, a faithful man, who can find? Who can find? And listen, I try really, really hard that when I give my word that I'm going to follow through on it. But not, I can't say I'm 100%. I can't say I'm 100%. Three days a week, I meet Brother John Sanchez down here, and we, we, we go to the gym and we work out. Do you know there have been a couple of times where I've overslept? And I've had a text, oh, I'm sorry, Brother John, I didn't make it, I overslept. I want to be there every time. Sometimes I'm not as reliable as I want to be. How many of you here have overslept and been late to work ever in your life? All right? The rest of you are either ignoring me or I need to talk to you and find out how you do it. Amen? Uh, but uh, listen, uh, God is faithful. God is faithful. Have you ever noticed that the sun rises and sets within one minute of the time prior every single day? You know who does that? A faithful God. You ever? You, no one ever thinks to themselves, I wonder if winter is going to come around this year. Nope, winter is going to come. And so is the spring, and so is the summer, and so is the fall, at least here in New England, right? We get all four seasons, and you know what? I can just mark it down. Next October, November, the leaves are going to change colors and fall off the trees. It's going to happen. 
Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. God gives His promises in His Word, and you know what? It comes true. We'll see a little later in chapter 25 of Isaiah that there are people who are waiting on God, and and if we're not careful, we think, is the rapture really going to happen? I'm not so sure. That's, it's been 2,022 years since Jesus was born. Is He really coming back like He said? I mean, really? You can mark it down. When God makes a promise, He's going to come through on that promise. Why? Because He's faithful. But not only is He faithful... Notice below the devotion to God. Notice His truth. We notice His faithfulness. Notice His truth. Uh, Turn with me. Hold your place in Psalm. We're going to be in Psalm 116 in just a moment. Turn back with me to Isaiah 25 and look at verse number 5. It says, Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. God is making a bold statement He's saying that those who oppose me will be punished. You can mark it down. It is true. Go back to Psalm 116 and look at verse number 11. David says here, he says, uh, I said in my haste, all men are liars. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, I've had time to think about that statement. And I have to say, David... You made it in haste. I've made it premeditatively. All men are liars. (laughs) It's true. All right? It's true. We've all lied and we all will uh, fib occasionally to get ourselves out of a bad spot. Right? Uh, Someone asks you a question and you don't want to deal with any sort of fallout, no matter how minor it may be. And so you will tell a scare quote minor lie to avoid minor fallout, and you think, ah, it's a little white lie. It's a lie all the same. It's a lie all the same. God is truth. There is no lies in God. God is the epitome of truth. Um, And look back at verse number 1 with me again. It says, O Lord, Thou art my God, Isaiah 25, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Letter A, we see devotion to God. Letter B, notice destruction of the cities. Destruction of the cities. Look down at uh, verse number 2. It says, For thou hast made of a city an heap, of a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. And uh, many people have asked, well, what city is verse 2 referring to? And the truth is, it's not referring to any one city. It's speaking more broadly of of the power that cities offer. Now, uh, in, in a culture, any culture, whether it's Western culture or any, any uh, culture you find around the world, here is the general structure, all right? Many people live out in the rural areas where they do agriculture. Any continent on planet Earth, you can find this setup. People of power and wealth dwell in cities, all right? And so when there's going to be a catastrophe... Oftentimes, especially a catastrophe that's man-made, oftentimes people run into a city for its defense, for its defense. And so people run to the cities for defense. If you're going to have one army attack another army, uh, one nation attack another nation, oftentimes people will go where they feel that they can be defended. The reality is that no matter how big and strong 
these cities are when God, when God sends his uh, tribulation on planet earth and when Jesus Christ comes down and fights in the battle of Megiddo, all cities will be destroyed. They'll all come falling apart because uh, God is greater than what any man can come up with. So we see the devotion to God, destruction of the cities. Notice letter C, deference of humanity, deference of humanity. Look at uh, verse number three. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear or reverence thee. The city of the terrible nations. Now, when you see the word terrible, the old English, the word terrible does not mean what it means in today's language. Terrible today means like, oh, that's terrible, that's awful. Back in uh, the Bible times, or rather back in, in the 1600s, 17th century, when the Bible was translated, the word terrible meant awesome or incredible. Okay? The incredible nations. Okay? What's this mean? This means that when Jesus Christ sets up rule and reign, every people group, big and small, great and little, will have to give obeisance and pay reverence to how powerful the Lord Jesus Christ is. Now, I've noticed a trend in our culture, and it's anti-God. It's anti-God. It's rebellious toward God. We see it in our court system. We see it in our school systems. We see it in our public universities. We see it in the media as a whole at large. And I'm talking about all of them, right? All of them. There seems to be a, a, a rebelling against God and the, 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 the God of the Bible. Now, that shouldn't surprise any of us. Satan is the prince and power of the air. And he's at work. And listen, oftentimes the media is nothing more than Satan's mouthpiece to communicate what he wants us to know. He is the prince and power of the air. And so uh, he communicates through whatever means he can find. And I'm not just talking about the news media. I'm talking about all of the sitcoms and movies that the news media companies put out. I'm amazed at how uh, Christians won't watch CNN or Fox News, but they'll turn on Fox or they'll turn on ABC, and they'll watch the sitcoms and the comedies. Do you not understand that the same people who put out the news are the same people making the septic sin they're dumping down your throats and the movies that are being made? One day these people who live in rebellion to God are going to have to cover Him quite differently than they do today because their rulership, their head, is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't wait to turn on cable news and see them cover King Jesus. It's going to be very different than the way it is right now. Deference of humanity. Look back at verse number, uh, verse number 3 there. It says, um, Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. And that's not the case right now. The strong people of this world mock God and buck from God. The city of the terrible nations or the mighty nations shall fear thee. There's going to be a reverence obeisance, uh, fear given to the King of kings and Lord of lords as he sets up his kingdom. And so in Isaiah 25, uh, we're given a glimpse of what it will be like as Jesus sets up his kingdom and the recent history being the battle of Armageddon, the battle at Megiddo. And we see, number one, praise be to God for his past deliverance. Stanza two of the song says, praise to God for his present uh, disbursement, his present 
disbursement. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to disperse some wonderful things to those that deeply love Him. And that brings us back to our original reading this evening. We read stanza two of this Hebrew song. Notice letter A, celebration relished. Celebration relished. Look at verse number six. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the leaves, lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. What is going on in verse 6? There is a celebration in the form of a feast. Now, this was one of the reasons why I drew the conclusion that this was mostly Jewish in nature, Isaiah 25. What did the Jews do to celebrate all throughout their history? They traveled to Jerusalem for a feast. You have the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, and on and on and on. The list goes of all of the feasts laid out in in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, laid out for the Jews to celebrate. What does Jesus Christ do right after He sets up His earthly kingdom? He throws a gigantic feast in Jerusalem for the Jews of the world and really the saints of the world to travel to and celebrate uh, the kingdom, celebrate the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Zechariah chapter number 12. Zechariah is in the Minor Prophets. Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to find, but um, if you start Matthew, just flip back a couple of books, you'll run into the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12, and look with me at verse number 9. Zechariah 12 verse 9, it says that I'm going to begin reading for uh, 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 a sake of time. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Again, this is the Antichrist. This is the battle of Megiddo. This is Satan and, and all of the world's systems being pointed at the Jews in hiding. Verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, I want you to think this through. Jesus Christ comes back. He, he brings victory. He brings relief. He brings He brings. Uh, 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 deliverance to the Jews who are being persecuted. And then the Jews turn and realize this is the same man 2,000 years ago who we nailed to a cross. Can you imagine the guilt and sorrow they're going to feel? Can you imagine them coming to him with a, a bowed head in humility, admitting they had gotten it wrong for 2,000 years? Listen, you think that that spirit still isn't present in in the Jewish world? Go try to talk to a Jew about Jesus. Well, they get hot real fast. No, not every Jew and not every time. But the average Jew, if you go try to talk to them about Jesus, they get real hot real fast. Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Messiah. And oh, they'll have to swallow their pride when that Jesus who they've denied comes out of heaven on a white horse and delivers them from the persecuting Antichrist. And after Jesus calms them and after Jesus comforts them, there is a feast throne in Jerusalem. There is a a great feast. You see the word fatness used twice in verse number 6. And the word fatness is another word for 
plentitude. There will be plenteous and a plentitude of food and a plentitude of wine or vine juice available for all those there at that celebration, at that disbursement. Letter A, we see celebration relished. Notice letter B, a covering removed. Now this is maybe my favorite part of the Bible study tonight. Look at verse number 7. This is really, really, really awesome. Look at verse 7. It says, And he, speaking of, of Jesus Christ, King Jesus, will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. Look at the rest of the verse. And the veil that is spread over all Nations. Now, when I read that, I did what you might be doing right now. I scratched my head, or uh, uh, metaphorically scratched my head, and I said, hmm, what in the world does that even mean? He will remove the veil. The veil. Take your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3. And I'm going to explain. I believe this veil is multifaceted. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse number 14. Paul expounds on that thought. He says, But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now let me pause the reading there. What veil is he talking about? He's talking about the veil that was torn in two uh, at the resurrection of Christ. The, ta- the, the veil that separated the holies from the holy of holies. It was rent in half. No more need for a priest. No more need for sprinkling of the blood. Uh, priest or the believer. Individual soul liberty. We can go to the Lord on our own for salvation. And we don't need the law of Moses anymore. The law of Moses has been completed in the person of Christ. That veil has been torn in half. However, there is still a veil that remains. Look at verse 15. But even unto this day, Paul says, when Moses is read, the books of Moses are read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Yes, the veil has been torn in the Holy of Holies, but there is a veil in the heart of man preventing some from coming to the Lord. Preventing some from coming to the Lord. So, what is this veil? This veil is this this deception, this belief that I need to follow another set of systems or rules in order to get to heaven. Well, what else is this veil? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Just a couple of books to the right there. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, we see the Gentile veil. That was the Jewish veil. Let's see the Gentile veil. Verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. I believe this concept is that of a veil. Look at verse 18. Having the understanding darkened or veiled, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the, here's the idea of a veil again, blindness of their heart. The blindness of their heart. What veil will the Lord Jesus Christ remove when he sets up his earthly kingdom, when Jesus Christ sets up his earthly kingdom, this idea of I can't see God will be gone. 
This idea of where is the God of heaven? He's sitting physically on the throne of David in Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. You can travel and see him if you want. You can turn on the TV. You can open up your smartphone. You can see the battle of Megiddo. He's right there. He reigns victorious. The veil is destroyed. The covering is gone. King Jesus reigns supreme. And for a thousand years, the sin curse is lifted off of planet earth and nature is restored stored back to itself the covering will be removed the covering will be removed the veil will be gone letter a we see celebration relished letter b we see the covering removed quickly letter c we see comfort realized comfort realized go back to isaiah 25 and we see in verse 8 some familiar words he will swallow up death in victory and the lord god will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people Shall he take away from off all the earth? For the Lord hath spoken it. You guys recognize some of these uh, uh, words, right? Some of these phrases. This is beautiful. In fact, Paul would recap a, a part of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death swallowed up in victory. Now, i got to tell you, before I studied Isaiah 25, I did not fully understand 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, the thought of death being swallowed up in victory. I thought of Jesus Christ raising from the dead as the death being swallowed up in victory. And yes, that is part of it, but that's not all of it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me and look at verse number 54. 1 Corinthians 15. Quickly, quickly, we're running out of time. In fact, we might have to save stanza 3 for next week, which crushes me. I was really hoping to get through, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 15. And verse number 54, we'll read down to the end of the chapter. It says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. What saying is written? Isaiah 25, verse number 6, or rather verse number 8. We just looked at it. The saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now imagine King Jesus being crowned and sitting on his throne, and the Jews and the saints standing in Jerusalem at this inauguration of King Jesus, saying, death is swallowed up in victory. King Jesus is reigning supreme. He was corruptible on the cross. He's incorruptible up there. He was a mortal man. Now he's immortal. He is the God of all gods. He's the King of all kings. He reigns supreme. Death has Put on victory. Death has taken on victory. Um, Look at verse number um, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved beloved brethren, here's the admonishment for tonight. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look, we're trudging through life. One step at a time, facing discouragement and struggle and discouragement and struggle. Sometimes just trying to make it from one day to the next. Sometimes trying to catch our spiritual breath. Sometimes we're sprinting. Sometimes we're, we're walking. Sometimes it's all we can do to stand for the Lord. But at the end of the day, hey, listen, we're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because one day, King Jesus is going to reign supreme. And us, we're going to get to reign with him, that will be a glorious day. Go back to verse 25. Let's finish up the thought here uh, uh, from Isaiah 25, verse number eight. Look there; it says, "He will swallow up death in victory." I love this part of it. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. 
Now, this thought of tears being wiped away from all faces happens twice in the book of Revelation. Most of us are familiar with the one that takes place, I believe it's chapter number 17. Um, uh, yes, chapter 17, uh, where it's, they're wiped away from the faces of the church age saints. But did you know that before the tears are wiped off our faces, it will be wiped off the Jews' faces? Now, I want you to think this through. This is really awesome. You've been a Jew... You've been trapped for three and a half years by the Antichrist. You have faced, you've faced um, uh, poverty. You have faced trauma like you would never even begin to imagine. Your whole world has been turned upside down. The whole world is searching for you and, and trying to hunt you down and kill you. You are a Jew under immense persecution. You're doing everything you can to just survive one day to another. You have faced starvation. You have faced homelessness. You have faced uh, uh, living in the cold and living in caves and, and everything imaginable just to survive. And then King Jesus comes down and he defeats your enemy, the Antichrist, he sets up this feast in Jerusalem, but you're still dealing with the trauma of the past. Turn over to Revelation 7. Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, in verse 17, we see where God will wipe away the tears off the faces of the Jews. It says, For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. There's that feast we just read about. And shall lead them into living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Listen, that PTSD that they'll have to, and it'll be real. Uh, in no way would I ever mock anyone with PTSD. It's a real thing. And boy, I have sat with soldiers who come back from war and had to do things that, that they, they, they regretted and, and they knew was necessary, but, but haunted them and hurt them. And I've had to sit and listen to soldiers talk about atrocities and and talk about uh, being woken up in the middle of the night and feeling as though they're in war and and the trauma that they endure. Listen, the trauma of these Jews is going to be real. And God is going to reach down and with His hand, He's going to wipe away their tears and He's going to take away all of the traumas that they experienced in that three and a half years. It's going to be wonderful. What is Isaiah 25 about? It's a song that will be sung at the inception, at the inauguration of King Jesus in Mount Zion, the thousand-year reign that will begin. And uh, the Jews will gather in Israel. They will sing this song at the feast and they'll praise God for His past deliverance. They'll praise God for His present disbursement. And next week, we'll look at stanza three as they look forward to the thousand-year Rain, and we'll talk about uh, those concepts next week. Isn't this good? Isn't this good? I love what we've seen in Isaiah 25, and we'll unpack it a little bit more next week. Well, let's stand together to be dismissed, and I hope that you've enjoyed yourself this evening. I hope you've learned something tonight, and I hope your spiritual battery is recharged. We'll, we'll send you back out into the world and, and go forth and be a strong witness for our Lord this week. One quick announcement before we pray and dismiss. Great Commission Saturday starts up this Saturday at 9.30. 9.30. Brother Dylan will be teaching the Soul Winners Club. I'll be running the rest of the operations of the day. And let me just say, if you are a leader in this church or ever desire to be a leader in this church, you need to be here this Saturday. 
And if you're married, bring your wife with you if possible and, or your husband with you. And be here. Be involved. Listen, don't just go, go make your visits. Come in the building. Be accountable. Be here. We'll launch forth from the church as a group into our different stations doing our different things. We'll get started promptly at 930. Hey, listen, what's the old phrase? If you're not early, you're late. So be early. Be here by 915. Be in your place and we'll, we'll get going right promptly at 930. I know some of you have scheduled conflicts. You can't come. But everyone that can be here, please make every effort to be here. And so we can proclaim the kingdom of heaven to our...